This is what New Zealand would sound like in 2050 if we get rid of the millions of pests that are killing our native species. We have adopted the goal of a predator-free New Zealand. By 2050, every single part of New Zealand will be completely free of rats, stoats and possums. This is the most ambitious conservation project attempted anywhere in the world. It's just over three years since the predator-free 2050 goal was announced to tackle this. Rats, possums and stoats collectively kill 25 million native birds a year. There are pest-free projects all over the country. The biggest ever pest eradication project the country's ever seen, ever, kicks off today in the capital. 6,000 traps will be installed in backyards across the Miramar Peninsula. I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly, and on the detail today, can we really be predator-free by 2050? And what does it take to get rid of pests in even a small part of New Zealand? You said it's like the wartime. You know, it's sort of like bringing people together for a common purpose, and the common purpose during the war was the enemy, and the enemy's now predators, and it seems the same sort of thing. It's weird. Jill and Kevin Adshead are waging their own war on predators on their 1,300 hectare family farm on Kaipara Harbour, north of Auckland. And they're starting to win. From their off-grid cottage in a secluded corner of their farm, they can hear at least three pairs of kiwi calling. Now we can go out at night and we just give a call. Uh, There's a good chance we'll see a kiwi. So... We've got a great team of people that um, help us when we have to catch our kiwis because uh, we've got several that are transmitted and we want to change these transmitters, keep an eye on them, and they're sitting on nests and so forth. Uh, we put cameras on the nests as well to watch what's happening. And, um, and these, these uh, the team that we've got going are really amazing for support here mm-hmm. and they help us all the time with our kiwi. Did you imagine you'd be doing this when you, um, <laughs> you know, when you were raising your children on the farm? No, ne- not at all. Um, we didn't have time enough to, to even plant trees in those days, but since then we probably plant about 10,000 trees a year. Kevin and Jill have set up Forest Bridge Trust to create a pest-free corridor over more than 100,000 hectares from the west coast to the east coast. We'll hear more on that shortly. But first, they're showing me around the farm and the work they're doing to bring more native species back. Within my lifetime, um, there was no possums beyond here going north, right to the top of the North Island. There were, numbers anyway. Yeah, there was a few, but no, they, they weren't there and they were never a problem. Now they're an absolute menace. Mm. So, yeah, to get rid of those and get back to that stage again, um, we have to get rid of, you know, control our dogs, we have to control our pests and so forth, and kiwis should be able to live with everybody. If, if that's the case, though, if we're going to, you know, have kiwis in our backyard, we've got to get rid of cats. Well, we have to control our cats, basically. We don't have to get rid of them. I think that we just have to be aware of what they're like and how they hunt. They're natural hunters. And so we just have to be aware of that and keep them in at night. On this place here, cats are very bad. Are they? Wild cats? Wild cats. Because we catch more wild cats on this farm every year than we do catch possums. As we come up the road here, I'll show you one of our latest traps. We're trialling traps all the time. And this is what's called a chimney trap. And it's got two live um, cat traps in it that, that has to go in through a chimney at the top, it goes down and goes into a wire cage, and then it triggers it and sets it off. So do you, you're using traps rather than 1080 or both? 
we use a combination of both. It's been proven now that you get uh, what's called trap shy stoats, and um, the thing is, the only way to get them is with um, 1080. Mm. Oh, that's one. That's a trap. That's there. a trap. The cat goes in the top of that, and then it goes into the into the bottom there. It's not our design. We've modified it and uh, just trialling it at the moment to see how it's working and so far it's doing very very well. So what we do is put a camera on that as well and then it's baited with um, chicken legs and we put a camera on top to watch the, the behaviour of the cat and they'll come and sit on that and they'll climb all over it and I think this is quite good so for a start if we know there's a cat then we can see it on the camera we will just feed the cat so we'll, sh- we'll tie the, the cage up so it can't go off and get him used to coming in and going out and then we'll just set it one night. And what happens, so what happens? Well, then we have to come and shoot it. Okay. Okay. Um, but we're talking feral cats here now. We're not talking yeah. Mrs. Yes. Mrs. Next Door's Molly, mm. you know. Mm. Yeah. The and so, see the, see the quail just walking across the road there? Yeah. They wouldn't be here if, if there were stoats around. Wow. Would, would there ever come a day when the whole thing is in native bush, do you think? No. I don't think so because you've got to make a make a living. Yeah, not in the red. red. If you want to be green, so oh, that's <laughs> interesting. That's a good way so of you, putting yeah. it. So you have to make money. But all these gullies, Sharon, are all all fenced now, and so the kiwi in the summertime can go down there and feed because it's moist and they can get there. Right. And, and it means the cattle can't get in there, and that's the big thing. It stops the sediment going out to the harbour, stops the nutrients going out to the harbour, and provides somewhere for the kiwi to eat in the yeah. In the, how many kiwi would you say you've got on your farm? It's so hard to tell, Sharon. Yeah. We, we say to people probably about 70 or 80, but oh. it's you know we released 40 but lost a couple, you know, to well five actually to pests and things. To, we had a ferret, which yeah. was horrible, but yeah, so probably about that many. There's a there's a there's a bird called Francis who lives over in that bush over there, mm. and last year he had four chicks. And we know that because he is um, he's got a, a detector on him, and also we put cameras on him. Oh, so. True. Yeah, he's a, he has a transmitter that we can, we know exactly where he is all the time. Yeah. The transmitter tells us when he's sitting on an egg. So we zone in on him and set up cameras so we can watch him. And uh, we wait, we leave the cameras out there until the, the chicks hatch and come out. So he's just one of three that we've got transmitted. This is QE2. This is a QE2 block, which we we actually fenced in in 1986. So it was fenced off in 1986. So the regrowth is amazing. Prior to that, the cattle used to come through. But you can see for regenerated cowdy frost, it was cut over probably in the 1840s. But um, so a lot of the rickers here are about, probably about 100 years old, I guess. Mm -hmm. The 2050 programme. It's seven species. It's yes. rats, possums, sto- stoats, but there are other pests that are that are still out there that aren't part of the program. If you, if you make the, the whole thing too broad, it, everybody throws their hands in the air. Ah, we too can't hard. do that. You know, oh. it's too hard. Mm. Let's just focus down on something that we can easily do. Mm. Okay, these other things we can have to do them as well. Mm. Yeah. But um, yeah, and as money becomes available, it'll be put into those areas. There, Organ Council are already spending a lot of money on deer and pig control. Uh-huh. Mm. Okay. Yeah, and goats. Goats right. are another major. What are you? Oh, I've only got a mouse today. Oh, okay. And there he is. It's not very exciting, but never mind, we'll get rid of them. I just set these the other day, so I wondered what. But I had a weasel in here the other day. So today it's only the mouse. Get out. 
get off there. We have to be careful of these traps in these boxes, they're just little rat traps, because we have to put them in the middle so a kiwi can't pick its beak in and smack its beak on it, oh, which you can break a beak. And there's yeah. the other yeah. things like um, you'll find that all our Tim's traps for, for possums are over 700 high, mm -hmm. and so that the, um, the kiwi can't go into them mm -hmm. and they can't damage the kiwi. There's no point trying mm -hmm. to trap something and kill your kiwi. No, that's It's the worst right. thing you can do, yeah. And these are our bait stations just for, for the, when we do use poison. So, so as Kevin said, 1080 just once every three to five years to kill those trap-shy stoats. And then every year, just before the bird breeding season, we'll use just a raticide like colicalciferol or pindone or something like that. Mm -hmm. When you're standing in a beautiful piece of bush like this, you look around and think, gee, this is amazing. But we think it's amazing, but it's already 100 years degraded. You see, so we don't know what the bush was like a hundred years ago. No. When Captain Cook was here in time, when he, they had to move the boat in places in the northern South Island because the crew couldn't sleep for the noise of the birds. The cacophony. I know. Yeah. And so you know, we don't know. Nobody living today knows what that's like. So no, we think, oh, this is a pristine native bush. Sorry, it's a hundred years degraded already from the rats and so forth that come in and just eat the seeds. So we've lost lots of species, I'd say, mm, mm. along the way. And if it continues, we're going to lose even more. The ads had started pest control on their land in 2006. We realised that we shouldn't be putting cattle into the bush in the wintertime anymore. It was not a cool thing to be doing. So we made the, the family made the decision to retire 400 hectares of the property, which a lot of it was in bush, a lot of it was um, marine wetlands, and, and that was the big the game changer. But, of course, we killed off the possums, and everybody said, yes, but that's fine. All the, all the, the trees are going to fruit, the fruit will fall to the ground, and then the rats are going to eat all that fruit. So you need to kill the rats because you're not going to get any regeneration. So we killed all the rats, and people said, well, the stoats are then going to climb up and kill all the birds because, you know, they've got nothing to eat, there's no rats left. So that's when we killed the stoats, and that's when people said this would be great, great the kiwi. for the kiwi. Right. Yeah, so that's when we released kiwi. So you started off with that, and then someone said, well, you need 10,000 hectares to really make it sustainable. So what did you do? Well, basically, we had to um, look around, didn't we, and find out all our neighbours and uh, do trapping on their place. Uh, very, very close to us, we got Atanui or Mount Auckland, and that's owned by the Ngāti Whātua Kaipara. And uh, so we got into a, a joint project with them, got some funding, and we helped them set up all that area, and they tra now trap it intensively as well. And your goal is to have a, like a corridor of native bush from the west coast to the east coast, that's north right, of Auckland? That's right, Chian. And uh, the, the reason for that is we realised when we did the neighbours and Atuanui, that was really only about 3,000 hectares, so it still wasn't enough. Mm. So that's when we realised we were going to have to go further and do more. And the first thing we did was set up... Kevin and I were smokers once upon a time, and the reason we stopped is our children went to school and there was an anti, there's a non-smoking campaign, and they came home and said, Mum and Dad, why are you smoking? Do you want to die? So It was very, so very effective. It was really effective, wow. so we figured that the best thing to do was to go into the schools. And we, we decided to get to the parents via the children, you see, because the children, they're just amazing. And uh, so we hired a, a lovely lady from XDOC, and um, she wrote out a whole programme and she takes it into the primary schools and they put, first of all put out tracking cards to find out what's around their places. Then they bring it back to the school. Then they, they assess what's on, uh, on those tracking cards. And then they set traps and uh, they, they put 
anything they want on the track to see what they catch, but they record all the results. And the results are put onto a program which is run by the Auckland University called Catch IT. Mm. And uh, they come back with graphs and all sorts of things for the kids. And it's just interactive with the children as well. And then from, from that, Sharon, people who didn't have children at school said, what about us? Oh. We'd like to learn about this as well. So we started running workshops for them. In the communities. In the communities. So far, the Trust has spent nearly a million dollars with funding from Auckland Council, DOC and other public agencies. But it's a costly ambition. Fencing costs a lot of money. To fence a kilometre of a stream to stop sheep getting into it is $25,000 a kilometre on average. So that's just one side of the stream. So if you've got two sides, that's $50,000. The other part of it is obviously the pest control. And that's, that's... because that's not so expensive, it's, and because people are, you know, it's something that people can do cheaply, it's expanded really quickly. People have wanted to, to do it. So by 2050, do you imagine that you're going to have your forest bridge? We'd, we'd like, Kevin and I won't be alive in 2050. So when we, when we set up the trust, we, <laughs> we, said, we said it would be great if it could be not completely done by by. In 10 years, so to 2025, the rest of the trust is going to be really cross when they hear me say this. But, but I think we, you have to have tangible goals, mm. something that you can really aim for. So if everybody in the whole of this area was aware by 2025 and actively involved, then I think that would be fantastic. Because even by 2050, we may not be predator-free, but we'll have a huge amount of protected land where our unique species are able to reproduce and still live with a low number. It's going to cost a fortune and we're going to have to have some great technology to get rid of the last few. But I don't think that's the point. I think the point will be that we keep those numbers of those predators low enough that all our wonderful species can live happily amongst us all. It's the knowledge, getting the next generation to understand that actually we're all going to have to have a trap in our backyard that we check every day just like we clean our teeth. Here's how the ADSED's granddaughters, Ella and Olivia Hood, see New Zealand without pest eradication. A country full of no more endangered species. We won't be able to call ourselves Kiwis and we just won't be anything. What do you think it'll be like if we get rid of all the pests? Um, it will be a dream, basically. It will be hard, but it will be New Zealand again. It will be really great. We'll be the first pest-free country in the world, really. I think Predator Free 2050 is very much about bringing back the life, bringing back the birds... Zoologist Alison Balance makes science and environment programs for RNZ. I spoke to her before she headed to Antarctica for her next project. I don't think we have any idea these days what we've lost and until you go to a predator-free offshore island. And I think the people who've been exposed to those opportunities, even something like Tiri Tiri Matangi in the Hauraki Gulf, an amazing place. It's having that kind of vision all over the mainland. I've been one of those very lucky people who've been to those islands that have had predators taken away and now I've had the opposite experience of going to Fiordland a few years ago and the forest was silent. It was eerily silent. So 
I absolutely know from things like the Zealandia Sanctuary in Wellington, those fence sanctuaries where you take out all of the predators and the birds just come back very quickly and the place sounds amazing. So I do think it's a, that's what it will sound like. It will be very exciting. Do you think so far it's been a success? It's too early. What I think the the programme has done so far is galvanise people. So there was already a, a groundswell of people trapping in their back gardens. There were already places like Orakanui and Dunedin and Zealandia Sanctuary in Wellington and a lot of other places which were seeing what would happen if you took predators out. And there were, were bigger projects starting to happen like taking possums off Otago Peninsula. And what... Predator Free 2050 has done is give everyone this single overarching goal and go, hey, we're all in it together and it's going to take all of us to do this. You and your back garden, you're part of it. You, Department of Conservation, trying to save our birds using 1080 following a, a mass seeding year. All of us are in this together and here's a really ambitious goal for us all to work towards. There's groups that are going out doing research going, how can we do things better? Are there better toxins we can use? Are there rat-specific lures? So a poison that would attract only a rat that might kill only a rat, so you're minimising bycatch. Um, And other people are actually going out going, we're going to do this big landscape-scale project, give us some money and we'll just go off and do it using existing tools. Won't there be reinvasion? I don't understand, you know, like, okay, you can get rid of pests in in this certain area that you have um, identified, but surely there'll be pests hanging around the edge of that area just waiting to get in. You're absolutely right. Islands, of course, have a moat of water around them, so that's easy. Uh, what, one of the research areas are buffers. So Miramar Peninsula, what they're doing in Wellington, that's isolated from the rest of Wellington City by Wellington Airport. Um, and basically rats don't like running across open concrete areas. Um, so they're going to have a buffer at either end of the airport, and for a few hundred metres the other side of it, which is going to be an intensive barrier of bait stations and traps with the idea that if some rat tries to get through there, it's likely to encounter a bait station or a trap and get killed before it gets back to Miramar Peninsula. And they're looking at doing exactly the same things around the edge of Taranaki, so you get rid of everything on your mountain, but you still always have this buffer zone to control things coming back in. So exactly how does it work, this predator-free 2050? There is a company which has been set up as a government entity. So predator-free 2050 is a multi-agency, so it's councils, it's government departments. The Department of Conservation is the lead agency on that. And it isn't one single thing. There was a quite a small pot of money put in from the government, but that, that was never intended to be the money that would make predator-free 2050 happen. It was just seed money to get things started. And the idea is that there will be lots of in-kind in lieu of money. There will be philanthropic money being put into these things. And so it's a whole lot of things all happening at once. Some of it is just reinforcing things that are already happening. One of the things that came out uh, from the work that DOC is doing is quite interesting. They have been making a real point of engaging with iwi. And one of the things that came through from the little bit that I've seen come out of those meetings is that uh, people want kaitiaki tanga and Māori values to be a key part of what this is. This is not just Western scientists coming in and going, here's a great idea. But for them, it's about giving aroha back to the land. And so there's a sense of spiritual human well-being involved in that as well. 
and also iwi see it as an opportunity they want employment out of it you know so there's there's some practical things they would like out of this as well they they want to be part of it they want to be involved uh there has been money put into it from the provincial growth fund uh people do see it as an opportunity this is something that we as people could do and it will also give us a job. Where is the place that you've been, Alison, where you've seen or experienced a really dramatic difference once people have embarked on this eradication programme? The example I always give is Hauturu, Little Barrier Island in the Hauraki Gulf. So when I first started going there, they'd already got rid of feral cats off it back in the 80s. Um, I started going there in the 90s. There were still Kiori, Polynesian rats there, Pacific rats. And I then got a chance to go back about 15 years later. And the difference for me was not only was there just generally more birdsong, but one specific example, when I was first going there in the 80s, there were kōkako, but they were in the tops of the trees on the top of the island. And if you wanted to hear them, you trekked up the island in the dark and you might hear a few of them calling at dawn. Now when you go to Hauturu... You can see five or six or seven kōkako eating daisies on the ranger's lawn. So in the absence of predators, these beautiful songbirds, they have come out of the trees and back down onto the ground, which is where they used to be before we came along. That's the detail for today. I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly. The detail is brought to you by newsroom.co.nz and made possible by the RNZ NZ On Air Innovation Fund. Hit the subscribe button to stay across the detail every day. And if you're on Apple, please leave a rating as it helps other listeners find us. This episode was engineered by Jeremy Ansell and produced by Alexia Russell. Kakite anō.